Blog Talk Radio. take a chance when we uh, sign into our show. Are we going to have chat? Who knows? Are we going to be on the air? Who knows? Is anybody going to hear us? Who knows? But, you know, hey, that's the way things are. I, uh, la la. But welcome, those of you who made it here, because, you know, you play Blog Talk Roulette too, don't you? It's a wild and wacky wilderness out here in internet world. Well, tonight we're going to talk about various and sundry things involving the world and the mind and spirituality and what the world's going on. Are we in the end times? I don't know. You know, uh, I survived quite a few things. Uh, we, uh, we'll talk about our crystal first. You know, we have, uh, this little thing called the Crystal Silence League was started around 1917 by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon uh, for the purpose of projecting positive prayer and affirmation for all those in need of such. And um, um, when he passed into the silence around uh, 1954 or so, he took the league with him. And there it lay dormant in the silence although there were some people still practicing the daily method, projecting and receiving blessings. And around um, um, 2007 or so, adepts of Missionary Independent Spiritual Church working quietly brought it back to life in cybernetic space, a worldwide web of people practicing and that's where you can find us to this day. Sponsored Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, a network of small denomination churches. Um, I get calls quite a lot from people who say, oh, my gosh, the Spiritualist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. When do you hold your services? I say every Tuesday night on Blog Talk Radio. We're archived on the Internet. You can find us in two spots, the Lucky Mojo Forum under the uh, section Crystal Silence League Hour or on my website. Archived on my website. That's where we have our services because if you try to crowd more than three people into my little my little chapel, which has a working area of 10 foot by 8 foot, it would be quite uh, cozy. And we're not doing that right now anyway because of the COVID-19 social distancing. 
and don't get me started on that because you know many places have relaxed that and we've had a spike a significant spike in COVID-19 cases and we still don't have any way to deal with it you get it you got it will you live through it you have about a 10 15 percent chance of living through it depending on you know who you are where you live maybe a five to ten percent chance of living through it who knows what those figures are wear your mask wear your gloves stay home that's my advice so our crystal tonight oh oh yeah you go to uh, www.crystalsilenceleague.org to find us and we have uh, a place there called the uh uh, prayer request page and prayer is free. You go over there and post. We have people, good God, I look over there right now. We have some people that have posted uh, like six to 10 prayers um, um, for uh, every topic. Some people apparently need a lot of prayer in every aspect of their life financial, uh, romantic, job. Um, you'd be just amazed at some of the stuff people pray for. We had a guy pray one time for new rims for his car. He needed new rims for the uh, hubcaps of his car, and he prayed for them. Sometimes people pray for tennis shoes. Uh, sometimes people need money. They need love. They need uh, healing. And uh, no no prayer is invalid. Prayer is invalid. Just come on over and pray for us. So why don't we start? We'll start with prayer ID 939 nine three nine three nine oh gosh what a number nine three nine three nine and you know that's a palindromic number if you say it backwards it's nine three nine three nine it's a palindrome it's a palindromic number I, I would be really happy if i got that number on my prayer but anyway please pray for me lord thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish upon us the work of our hands, yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Psalm 90. A lovely psalm. Yes, establish the work of our hands for each and every one of us. Prayer ID 93938, not a palindrome in any way, who says, it's about a court case. And it's good news. I am beyond grateful. I am thankful for all that I am and all that I will become. I pray that whoever is reading this is blessed beyond measure. As I travel these familiar and unfortunate roads in court to obtain child support, I ask you, God, the divine, that you guide and assist me to prevail against all enemies known and unknown. Please continue to cover my family and any of those who are facing their own battles. So mote it be. Amen. Oh, child support. Get it. Those who father children should pay child support. Prayer ID 93937. In the name of names of God, my ancestors, all of the other great divine beings who walk with me, all of the angels in heaven who would like to help me out and my Ori. I, AP, humbly and respectfully pray, ask, and request that KC and all others do not take further action against me for recording a conversation during which Two white people were very inappropriately going after a black person in a racially charged way without their consent. I was doing so with good intentions. Thank you. Amen. And prayer ID 93936. I pray that all my old and favorite clients from my past find my services online and schedule sessions with me soon. I also pray new clients who are kind, educated, and respectful find my services online very soon so I have a successful and productive business year despite all the chaos around our cities. Amen. And here's somebody with a lot of prayers. I want to pick a good one. Uh, prayer ID 93934. Deliver me from mine enemies, oh my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie and wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered uh, against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. Thou therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, wake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. 
It's a good one. People reading their Bible. We have prayer ID 93933. I ask that S and I will grow more into a couple instead of just friends. Amen. Prayer ID 93932. Please send blessings, good spirits to all animals, my friends, families, pets, and love. She also, or he or she also prays for blessings and good spirits to my family and me. Let's have harmonious relationships. Let all animals be blessed. Let us all be blessed also by good spirits, ancestors surrounded by blessing, protective, white light, and made safe. Happy life. Thank you, Saints Anthony, Expedite, Jude, Michael, Saints Martin de Porres, and Francis of Assisi. Prayer ID 93928. Please pray for my wife. She has come into contact with someone who has had COVID-19 and I have pre-existing health conditions. So we are scared for both of our safety. Also, please pray that I overcome my health issues and that people who try and create a rough time for me at work are handled for their wrongdoing. I'm 28 and I work very hard to support myself and my family. Amen. Prayer ID 93925. Please pray for BL and J. Praying for peace and communication, love and understanding. Amen. Prayer ID 93924. Father God, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus, asking for healing of any and all sickness. Amen. And that, that finishes us up. Let's have a moment of silence, prayer for this world. Oh, my goodness. We are in a transitional period for sure. Let's have us a moment of uh, prayer and meditation where in the world is my music, my prayer music? What have you done, Blog Talk? This is not my music bar. Um, let's have a prayer for Blog Talk. Um, there we go. Um, silent prayer and meditation for this world, all those in need of healing, those in need of safety, those in need of security, and those in need of peace and comfort. Amen. Our crystal this week is golden topaz, sometimes called imperial topaz, and sometimes called golden imperial topaz. Lovely thing. Um, looks like citrine, but better. Uh, transparent yellow. And I'll tell you that this is a, a very 
old magical stone. Um, it's been used in magical work very far back. I'll tell you that it was uh, the favorite gemstone of a um, St. Hildegard, and she worked magic with it. She used to say that you could take it into any holy place. Uh, you could anoint it with an oil that had myrrh in it, and holy oils are still used to anoint this stone in magic. It's considered a stone that has a connection with the divine. It's used as a sort of sunstone. She said you could anoint it with holy oil and take it in a sacred place, a holy place, and it would shine so brightly you could read sacred texts with it. She also said if you made an infusion in wine, just take this and put it in wine, um, you could apply it to your eyelids and um, uh, it would uh, give you uh, the ability to see visions and it would also cure any eye disease. You could use it for an eye wash. Um, um, so it's, it has had a history of uh, very magical and spiritual properties. Uh, I'll tell you that what it is normally used for uh, is to bring a uplifting of the spirit. Um, helps enhance connection of spirit. If you feel spiritually depleted, it renews your sense of spiritual purpose. Um, it increases your stamina, your strength, your uh, motivation. If you feel burned out, it uh, relieves that burned out feeling. Um, I'll tell you that many healers will give it to you who have a chronic disease to carry. Uh, I know people give it, uh, uh, crystal healers will give it to cancer patients to help. We know that there is a great deal of connection between mind, spirit, and body when it comes to healing, even um, uh, in things uh, like periods of remission increase with a positive attitude. Uh, it Enhances your study of ancient magical wisdom. Uh, um, it can range anywhere from this very almost uh, transparent yellowish, just a tinge of yellow, to a deep yellow-orange, uh, the entire spectrum. The, uh, uh, of course, it associates with the uh, solar plexus chakra, uh, it's also apparently resonates with the crown chakra. It connects the two. Um, so there's some a little bit about the uh, yellow topaz. I, I, I keep quite a bit of it around. It's a it's not expensive. It's not cheap, but it's not expensive. Um, if you're not too picky about it, I know it's used in uh, jewelry. But they like to polish it, cut it into facets, and uh, make jewelry of it. Um, you know, gemstone quality topaz is uh, is pricey, but you don't need gemstone quality topaz to do work with it. And uh, anyway, that's our uh, jewel, golden topaz. I would like to um, uh, talk about a few things, uh, not necessarily on topic. Um, we have uh, events going on. Um, uh, I've expected this for a long time that uh, the country was was going to uh, erupt. the The thing is, we've we've had a real problem here. You know, the government's job, the very definition of government, they're lawmakers. The job of the government in a democracy is to make and enforce law. That's what they do. That's their purpose since day one. When the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, uh, the formation of the three branches of government, the definition, the defined job is to make and enforce law. And they have failed. They have failed in the job they were assigned to do. And uh, on every level, the executive branch, the, the House, uh, the judicial branch, the enforcement branch, they have failed. I can tell you that legislation was passed in the 90s to keep track of justifiable and unjustifiable police homicides. It was never enforced. There is no accurate measure 
of how many homicides are attributed to police. It's never been enforced. It's never been kept up with. The FBI has a program designed to keep up with police homicides. They have no idea. There is no accurate figure of how many people are killed justifiably or otherwise by police. We have no idea. And it's, uh, you know, investigations have shown that police don't accurate, police departments, many do not accurately report it anyway. That they report some, but not all. This is a problem. And I'm not going to criticize, we need police. We need a police department. There, a lot of people now are very mad at the police, and justifiably so in many cases, but we need police. We need police. Our government has let us down. But in a democracy, in a democratic republic, we are the government. We, we are self-governing. So what is the problem here? What happened? Why have we let ourselves down? Because that's what happened. We let ourselves down. We put these people in office. We let these things happen. We did. We can't blame someone else out there. People want to blame Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a symptom. If you want to blame Donald Trump, blame Chuck Schumer, too. Chuck Schumer was involved with Waco. Chuck Schumer was involved in covering up and explaining away Waco. you got to blame some Democrats, too. And Waco, the Branch Davidians, they weren't doing anything. They were not doing anything. They were minding their own business. They were, uh, and, and you may have heard they were molesting children. They were brainwashing people. They weren't. Look into the facts. The, the branch, they were not doing anything. They're, they're still there. They're still there to this day. And, you know, the, the feds came in and shot them up. They did nothing. And Chuck Schumer was, look at and he's the speaker now for the, the, the Democrats. So they let us down. Now, something happened uh, some time ago um, uh, on May 4th, 1970. There were peaceful demonstrations at uh, Kent State University. And... Um, because uh, there was some alarm in the community, um, um, these students were protesting the Vietnam War. Uh, the Vietnam War had escalated under uh, John Kennedy and Lyndon B. Johnson. This was before Nixon took office. Um, so uh, under Johnson, the number of American troops in Vietnam, uh, which uh, under Kennedy was 16,000 troops, uh, Johnson increased the number of troops uh, more than half a million, and still there were no tangible results. Um, the um, so the Kent State activity, um, protesters uh, walked during the 1966 homecoming parade, dressed in military paraphernalia, and they had gas masks. Uh, then '68, uh, the students for a democratic society and a campus black student organization staged a sit-in to protest police recruiters on campus. There were 250 black students walked off campus in a successful amnesty bid for the protesters. So then on April 1st, 69, uh, many students attempted to enter the admission building with a list of demands, and then they had it run in with the police. In response, the university revoked the Kent State uh, chapter, uh, SDS chapter charter. And then on April 16th, the disciplinary hearing involved two of the protesters resulted in a confrontation between supporters and opponents of the SDS. So the Ohio State Highway Patrol was called and 58 people were arrested. Then on April 10th, 1970, a leader named Jerry Rubin of the Youth International Party, who were also known as the Yippies, spoke on campus. And he he said, the first part of the Yippie program is to kill your parents. They're the first oppressors. And two weeks after that, um, Bill Anthrell, an SDS member and former student, distributed flyers to an event, which he said was going to napalm a dog. And the event turned out to be an anti-napalm teach-in. It was, uh, it was a stunt. Then on April 30th of that year, uh, Nixon announced that the Cambodian incursion had been launched by United States combat forces. So at Kent State University, 
a demonstration with about 500 students was held on May 1st at the Commons, um, which is uh, a grassy knoll at Kansas State University used as a gathering place for rallies. The crowd dispersed to attend classes by one. Another rally was planned for May 4th to continue the protests of the expansion of the Vietnam War into Cambodia. There was a lot of anger over this. Um, uh, I, I was around at that time, and I remember there was a lot of protest, a lot of anger about the Vietnam War. Um, a group of history students buried a copy of the United States Constitution to symbolize that Nixon had killed it. Trouble exploded in town about midnight when people left a bar and began throwing beer bottles at police cars. They began breaking windows in downtown storefronts. They, in the process, they broke a bank window. It set off an alarm. News spread quickly, and it resulted in several bars closing. And by the time the police arrived, a crowd of about 120 had already gathered. Uh, some people from the crowd lit a small bonfire in the streets. Now, some of this activity may sound a little familiar, and the crowd appeared to be a mix of bikers, students, and transient people. And a few people in the crowd began to throw beer bottles at the police. And then they started yelling obscenities at them and slogans. And the entire Kent police force was called to duty as well as officers from the county and surrounding communities. And the Kent mayor, Leroy Stanton, declared a state of emergency, called the office of Ohio Governor Jim Rhodes to seek assistance and ordered all the bars to be closed. That Saturday, city officials and downtown businesses received threats. Uh, rumors proliferated that racial uh, and radical revolutionaries were intent to destroy the city and universities. And there were unconfirmed rumors of students with caches of arms and plots to spike the local water with LSD, etc. So uh, Safran met with Kent city officials and representatives of the Ohio Army National Guard. And because of these rumors and threats, Saffron feared the local officers would not be able to handle future disturbances. So following this meeting, uh, Saffron and Rhodes requested the National Guard be sent to Kent, a request that was immediately granted. And this decision to call in the National Guard was made at 5 p.m. Uh, the Guard arrived uh, at 10 p.m., and a large demonstration was underway. And the Campus Reserve Officer Training Corps, the ROTC building, was burning. And the arsonists were never apprehended. Nobody knew who did this. And no one was injured in the fire. And uh, information developed by an FBI investigator. I want you to remember that this is the FBI now. The FBI was on the scene. Of the ROTC building indicated that of those who participated actively, a significant portion weren't Kent State students. There's also evidence to suggest that the burning was planned beforehand. There were railroad flares, a machete, and ice picks are not customly carried to a peaceful rally. There were reports that some Kent firemen and police officers were struck by rocks and other objects while attempting to extinguish the blaze. So what we saw, um, some students came to downtown Kent to help with cleanup efforts after the chaos. Um, Around 8 p.m., another rally was held on campus. The guardsmen used tear gas to disperse the crowds. The students reassembled at the intersection of Lincoln and Maine. They held a sit-in with the hopes of gaining a meeting with Mayor Satram and university president. Some students went back to their dorms. A few students were bayoneted by guardsmen. This was a peaceful sit-in, by the way. Now, another protest was scheduled to be held at noon on Monday. The protests began with the ringing of the campus's Iron Victory Bell, and protesters began to speak. Now, Companies A and C and Troop G of the Armored Cavalry were called in at this point of the Ohio National Guard. They attempted to disperse the students. The legality of the dispersal was later debated at a subsequent wrongful death and injury trial. The United States Court of Appeals ruled that authorities did indeed have the right to disperse the crowd. Whether or not they had the right to bayonet and shoot students, that was debatable. The guard returned and again ordered the crowd to disperse. When most of the crowd refused, the guard used tear gas. Because of wind, the tear gas had little effect, and some launched a second volley of rocks toward the guard's line and chanted pigs off campus. The students lobbed the tear gas canisters back at the National Guard, who wore... Uh, tear gas masks. 
And when it became clear that the Guard was not going to disperse, a group of 77 National Guard troops from A Company and Troop G with bayonets fixed on their M1 Giron rifles began to advance upon the hundreds of protesters. And as they advanced, the protesters retreated up and over Blanket Hill. And once over the hill, the students in a loose group uh, moved toward the front of, uh, of Taylor Hall. And uh, the bulk of the students uh, were to the left in front of the guardsmen, uh, approximately uh, 225 feet away, uh, while others were in the parking lot. The guardsmen um, were generally facing the parking lot, which were about 100 yards away. And at one point, some of them knelt and aimed their weapons toward the parking lot. And at one point, the guardsmen formed a loose uh, huddle and began talking to each other. Um, and uh, a number of guardsmen uh, nearest the students turned and fired their rifles at the students. And all, at least 29 of the 77 guardsmen claimed to have fired their weapons using an estimate of 67 rounds of ammunition. The shooting was determined to have lasted 13 seconds, although uh, a John Kiltner reported in the New York Times that it appeared to go on as a solid volley for perhaps a full minute or a little longer. The question of why the shots were fired remains debated. The adjutant general of the Ohio National Guard told reporters that a sniper had fired on the guardsmen, which remains a debated allegation. Many guardsmen later testified that they were in fear of their lives, which is questioned partly because of the distance between them and the students killed or wounded. Remember, it was up to 225 feet. Time magazine later concluded that triggers were not pulled accidentally at Kent State. The president's commission on campus unrest avoided probing the question of why the shootings happened. Instead, it harshly criticized both the protesters and the guardsmen, but it concluded that the indiscriminate firing of rifles into a crowd of students and the deaths that followed were unnecessary, unwarranted, and inexcusable. And there's a whole lot of reports about this. Um, um, and um, I, I, I mean, I can go on and on about the Kent State Massacre, which apparently a lot of people have seemed to have forgotten. Um, the American military fired upon a group of unarmed civilians, many of whom were minors. I want you to think about that if you don't remember the Kent State Massacre, as it was called. I just want you to think about that. And I do believe that we're going to uh, station identification, and we're going to come back with another um, uh, another thing that may have happened around that time. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So around this time, the 60s and early 70s, uh, Martin Luther King uh, was working toward, for civil rights. Um, the Black Panthers were active. The Ku Klux Klan was very active. Um, lots of stuff was going on. And uh, there was a, um, a person in charge of the FBI, um, J. Edgar Hoover. And we know now quite a bit about J. Edgar Hoover. We know, for one thing, that he was a very um, bad human being. And I'm going to tell you that in... Uh, 1971, a group of white activists broke into an FBI field office in Pennsylvania, and uh, they made away a bunch of documents and memos, which are available uh, to a lot of, I mean, a lot of people have seen this, that they're available, you can, you can read them yourself, and they revealed the existence of a, uh, what was up to that point, 
uh, a secret operation masterminded by Hoover that the FBI had been carrying out for some time where they had been spying on a lot of people. Not only spying, but working to discredit many of them. Martin Luther King was one. Um, uh, and um, the Beatles, they were spying on the Beatles. They were spying on lots of high-profile and influential people, the Black Panthers uh, among them. Um, and their goal was to create an enormous framework of propaganda um, and to discredit the entire uh, civil rights movement as a violent, disruptive threat, which needed constant police control. And this uh, organization, uh, this sounds like paranoid stuff, uh, uh, but it was the Counterintelligence Program, or COINTELPRO, as it was known. It was created by J. Edgar Hoover to spy on, infiltrate, and discredit uh, virtually every progressive activist movement. And uh, it had a particular interest and emphasis for black civil rights leaders. Uh, and many, I mean, we know this now. We've heard quite about Martin Luther King being wiretapped and blackmailed. Uh, they also gave advanced heads-up notices to many of the Ku Klux Klan-affiliated uh, police and uh, local organizations to let them know when uh, freedom fighters and freedom riders would be coming through town so they could arm up and be ready for them. This exists. This paperwork exists. There are documentaries about it. There are books written about it. And a lot of people have not heard a bit about this, just like they've never heard about a group called The Family, which operate openly, that have breakfast dinner, breakfasts with uh, events with every president, every sitting president since uh, um, Harry Truman, with a stated goal to take over the world. Uh, look them up if you've not heard about them. Uh, a reporter infiltrated the family uh, to do a, write a book about him, or write articles about him, and they they found him. And he says, "So what? What now? Do you kill me?" No, no. Ask us questions. We, we're not a secret organization. A group of fundamentalist Christians. They have key people everywhere in Congress and every major organization, and they say we're going to take over the world. So, COINTELPRO had three core goals uh, in regard to the Panthers: one, to discredit radical leaders in their communities by falsely painting them as snitches or sellouts. Um, spreading rumors that they were collaborating with the FBI to force rifts between uh, different coalitions with the same values, um, uh, like very liberal black civil rights groups versus a more centrist one or between, between black activist groups and Latin ones, um, to create a framework in which the vast majority of white people saw the, not just the Panthers, but the entire black civil rights movement as a violent, disruptive threat, which needed constant police control. And the reason we know about this is because uh, of those documents that were stolen from this FBI office that contained memos and, uh, and reports um, that revealed the uh, COINTELPRO operation to the public. Now, the thing about humans, the people, is that if something feels true to you, if it sounds right, if it fits your worldview, it's hard to change that worldview, that belief, even when confronted um, with facts later on. So here are people whose uh, functional years, uh, you know, adult working years, 1960, 1970, that would be the people who are very old now. Right, the older people. Uh, I was young, you know, in 1970, I was 10, 11 years old, but th these are my parents, right? And people younger than my parents, even, you know, say teenagers, younger people who are now Donald Trump's base. These are the people who are Donald Trump's base, who are convinced it felt true to them that every, that the Black Panthers, the civil rights movement, brown people were all a bunch of domestic terrorists because it felt true to them. Because they were taught that 
the police were necessary to control these people, that the government was safe and looking out for their own good, that the government doesn't do wrong. And it felt true. So we're not looking at people who are evil. We're not looking at people who are necessarily uh, stupid. We're looking at people who are indoctrinated, co-intel pro operation. And it was vast. And if you know anything about the FBI, they are, they are self-funded. They just ask for a, tr- a check. They say, here's how much money we need. They're self-organized, uh, orga- and they report to nobody. It felt true. There is a uh, online, you can find, uh, 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 a, a look, a, a, there's a, uh, a document called, uh, that was put out in 1980 called Counterintelligence, a documentary look at America's secret police, and you should read it. You should read it. And the greatest danger to this uh, supremacy um, the FBI's supremacy was that there was always a risk that white people might look around and notice that their neighbors aren't um, terrorists, right? And say, hey, black people aren't scary. And the things that they're asking for are really reasonable, right? And the way they're being treated is horrible. There have been um, speakers, you know, African-American speakers who've said, you know, they're talking, right? And they say, "Um, now, how many of you white people, raise your hand, would right now like to be treated the way black people are treated and white people won't raise their hand. So the speaker says, okay, so you know, this is going on. Why don't you do something about it? Right. So, um, so if you grow up with this kind of vague notion, that the black Panthers, um, that the million men March and stuff were, uh, just going around wantonly shooting at cops and shooting at white people, then you might never have learned that a huge part of the Black Panthers' role in the community was stuff like free breakfast programs for kids. And they were armed, but defensively. And they were using it to protect their neighborhoods because cops were less likely to wander in and uh, screw up, screw around with the kids just for fun if they knew that there were a few armed brothers on the corner. So let's talk about a young man named Fred Hampton. Now, if you've not heard of Fred Hampton, um, this might be a very good time to talk about him when we're talking about cops kneeling on guys' necks and killing them while people watch. Fred Hampton was murdered. Um, There's uh, documentaries about Fred Hampton, the assassination of Fred Hampton, how the FBI and the Chicago police murdered a Black Panther. Um, uh, Fred Hampton was this young man um, who studied law to help um, his people, to help black people. He was a youth organizer for the NAACP in Chicago, and he was a very good speaker. He was like Martin Luther King a nat- uh, Jr., a, a national speaker. So he joined the Black Panthers, and he rose to the ranks very quickly, and he became chairman of the Chicago chapter uh, by the age of 20 or 21. And his specialty was building um, structures between groups, which is how he landed on COINTELPRO's most wanted list. So Fred Hampton was really good at going to groups of people who were at each other's throats, right? rival gangs, uh, 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 the Crips and the Bloods, things like this, and convinced them that they had shared interests and shared needs and a common enemy. And this common enemy was the white supremacist power structure. So the FBI decided to murder him when he was about 21 years old, just as he was on on the edge of brokering a, tra- a transformative deal um, between the Black Panthers and a very large organization at that time in Chicago, uh, a, a gang called the Latin Kings, and a coalition of white churches to begin organizing fair housing. So, so Fred was drugged by his bodyguard, who, by the way, was an FBI plant, and assassinated. Now, there's wiki pages on him. There's websites about him. There's books about him. There's documentaries about him. And what you need to know about this is that the cops broke into his house and fired 
uh, 99, 100, 120 times. And the Panthers, the Black Panthers, these black terrorists, these gangsters fired one shot. It was determined um, that it was an accidental shot because it was a reflexive shot. Um, when a uh, when a man was dying and his hand clenched in an unconscious muscle spasm. But Cohen Telpro, with Hoover's enthusiastic leadership, had all the local white government in his pocket, right? And he had locked in uh, the support of a very powerful fellow, the, the state's attorney, a man named uh, Hanrahan. And if you read the papers at that time, uh, what they said in the news about the Panthers shooting first, um, you get a very different story. Um, even though inquests that you can read at the time says one shot was fired and it was in a guy that had already had a bu- been bullet ridden. Um, the Chicago Police Department, Daniel Grove, who led the 14 police raiders, said there must have been six or seven of them firing. The firing must have gone on 10 or 12 minutes. If 200 shots were exchanged, that was nothing. It's a miracle that not one policeman was shot. The immediate violent and criminal reaction of the occupants in shooting at announced police officers emphasizes the extreme viciousness of the Black Panther. So does their refusal to cease firing at police officers when urged to do so several times. So was Fred Hampton executed? Now, the only reason that you got the true story about this was because two years after that, a whole bunch of uh, uh you know, white guys broke into the FBI office and snatched all those documents and leaked all the co-intel pro documents that revealed all the details of the murder plot and the reports afterward. So it still took like 18 years and multiple lawsuits for the surviving Panthers' names to be cleared and for the cops who committed the murder to be charged with the crimes, which they were. So all Fred Hampton did was uh, be very charismatic, compassionate, and uh, tried to change the way the way things were in Chicago, even knowing now, knowing that the Panthers were the target of a really, I mean, think about it, a really insane level of smearing and stalking and harassment, infiltration, kidnappings, murder, blackmail from their own government. The narrative around the Black Panthers among white people was already locked in. You mentioned the Black Panthers. What you hear about is is a terrorist organization, just like now this non-existent group called Antifa is going to be declared a non-existent group is going to be declared a terrorist organization. So this uncomfortable and nervous feeling of terror that people you know feel and hear is why they respond the way they do. It's isomorphic thinking. So these these older white people, they get so afraid when black people are no longer afraid of them in public, when they're holding up signs, when they're shouting, when they're marching, when they fight back. Well, they're giving J. Edgar Hoover just what he wanted. That was planned, and this is why the government has failed us. This was COINTELPRO. And there were authors that warned us about this. They saw it. They knew about it. It was at the time this was happening. George Orwell. So when and when you learn white people history and white people school your whole life, one of the most uh, insidious indoctrinations that's hammered in your head is this confident and implicit trust in our institutions, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and in the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. This idea that the government it has its flaws, right, is nonetheless reliably on the side of the good and equality for all. And most people, especially white people, learn about the civil rights era through a few very carefully selected quotes 
from John Kennedy, Martin Luther King, misinterpreted as a call for niceness. Be nice. And if you hear about the Black Panthers at all, you see pictures of uh, angry black guys in berets carrying rifles with an air of danger and menace, savagery. So you don't learn about Fred Hampton. You don't learn about Nixon. You don't learn about J. Edgar Hoover, the Southern strategy, the FBI's attacks on freedom riders. You don't learn about this unless you dig for it. And then you may be told, well, that's just a bunch of conspiracy shit. So you don't have living context for this unless you talk to people who were there. Let's see the documents. And how many white people read black history anyway? How many older people? It, I mean, this is like drilled into your head in school. It's so hard. You read it and you get uncomfortable because that's not what you were taught. It's all part of the indoctrination. And that's why this country is torn apart right now. And so I'm seeing a lot of people, they're tweeting, and they're, they're good, uh, good people. Um, and, uh, you know, the threads on Facebook and stuff. Um, um, and we have these uh, people, and there's a name for them. I saw this name. They're called White Protest Tourists because they want the thrill and the rush of showing up at these um, protests, and they want to smash windows, uh, and they want to participate, but they don't know why. They don't know the history. They don't know the how and the why of this, but they, they want to be there. They want to be part of, part of this historic thing, but they don't know why. And, you know, the Civil War was about this. Uh, uh, Ferguson was about this. The uh, uh, Watts was about this. And, um, and then you look at Ted Wheeler, uh, the mayor of Portland, with his curfew and his, uh, I'm so disappointed in you people and this. And he doesn't even know. J. Edgar Hoover smiles from his afterlife at people like this. And the Republicans are behind it. The Democrats are behind it. This ain't a partisan thing. But, you know, we, we hate to admit that we're wrong. That we were lied to. We hate to admit it. And when you're old, it's it's so hard to say all this stuff I thought was true. And is it possible so many people can lie to you? Hey, look, they're opening up the country and people going back to work, and the numbers are rising. The numbers of people with COVID and the number of people dying are rising, but they're opening up the country. My wife went back to work yesterday, and she's terrified. And she said, two-thirds of the people at her office are not wearing masks and not taking precautions. They're all trying to get on the elevators together. And I went to Home Depot, masked and gloved up, and about two-thirds of the people in there, they were not practicing social distance. They weren't wearing masks. And the numbers are peaking. They're going up, not down. When they're told they're safe by people in authority, they believe it. Because we've been indoctrinated to believe it. And I apologize I took so long with this. I've only got five minutes left, and I'm not talking to you about your mind um, making a change. But I, I guess I really did. I guess I really did. And um, what I can tell you is this. I can, I can certainly tell you this. The power of your subconscious is enormous, and it inspires you, and it guides you, and it reveals to you names and facts and scenes from your storehouse of memory. And I have mentioned many times that there's going to be moments of great revelation when you confront beliefs that make you uncomfortable. And when you confront these beliefs and realize you have to change them, you're going to feel that you betrayed somebody. And it may be your parents, and it may be your teachers, and it may be your entire society. And we're living in times just like that. And if we don't change, we're going to break. The conscious mind is the source of all of our ideals and aspirations and our urges, both good and bad. And it's through the subconscious mind that everything changes. I was reading... Uh, the other day, 
that there was a um, um, who was a Scotch surgeon in one of the wars. His name was Dr. James. I wrote it down here. Dr. James Isdaily, who worked in Bengal before ether or other modern methods of anesthesia were discovered. And between 1843 and 1846, this Dr. Isdaily performed about 400 major operations of all kinds, such as amputations, removal of tumors and cancerous growths, as well as operations on the eye, ear, and throat using mental anesthesia only. I'm assuming hypnotic anesthesia. This Indian doctor um, who wrote this book uh, informs us that the post-operative mortality rate of patients operated on by Dr. Isdaily was extremely low, probably 2 to 3%, and patients felt no pain and there was no deaths during the operations. So Dr. Isdaily suggested to the subconscious minds of all his patients who were in a hypnotic state that no infection or septic condition would develop. And this was before Louis Pasteur, Joseph Lister, and others who pointed out the bacterial origin of disease and causes of infection due to unsterilized instruments and violent or organisms. And this Indian surgeon said that the reason for the low mortality rate and the general absence of infection, which was reduced to a minimum, was undoubtedly due to the suggestions of Dr. Isdaily to the subconscious minds of his patients, and they responded accordingly to the nature of his suggestion. And if you think how wonderful this is to conceive how a surgeon over, what, almost 200 years ago, discovered this miraculous wonder-working powers of the subconscious mind, doesn't it seize you with a sort of awe and despair at the same time when you stop and think of the transcendental power of our own subconscious mind and how humanity as a whole is using it today. And what would it take to implant suggestions in the minds of humanity as a whole to turn all this around? I, I don't have an answer. It's a question. What would it take? I really don't know. It's time to wind it up. I'm the Reverend John St. Germain. You know the Reverend loves you. We're going to go away now and uh, come back maybe next week. It depends on how tired I am. Uh, or something comes up, and if we're all here, we shall gather again by the waters and um, and talk some more. Thanks for showing up. Where's my outro music? There it is. See you next week.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.